I hope you'll uh, open up to that passage in James that we just had read. That's where our uh, text is going to be tonight. I'm doing this series on James, and uh, as I kind of set it up a few weeks ago, I, I take this to be um, sermons that James, I think, gave mostly to the Jerusalem church. James was a key elder for that big, diverse, unruly church that formed in Jerusalem. And uh, some of the leaders got scattered by persecution, and, and that started some of the first mission work. And James stayed there, and he worked with that church until his death. He was eventually uh, killed by Jewish persecution. And uh, when you read the text of James, at least if you've been in ministry for a while, you kind of get that sense of someone who has been in the trenches and knows the kinds of tensions and troubles that can arise with a church. And these are, these are good things for a congregation to know. These are things that will uh, put, put people back together. One of the best stories about this uh, and the book of James is a story that Larry Journey has. But it's his story, so you need to go and bug Larry Journey until he tells you his story about the book of James. It's a really good one. Uh, maybe you should all bug him together so he doesn't have to tell it 2,700 times. But uh, it's, it really illustrates the point that I'm making here. So tonight we're going to talk about the mouth. James has a lot to say about the mouth. I'm focusing on this one passage that we just had read there in chapter 3. So if you're able to, go over there to that passage. Uh, these are actual warning labels that uh, I found on the internet. Um, warning, pastry filling may be hot when heated. Uh, this is found on a uh, Batman costume, uh, Halloween costume. Parent, exercise... Caution, mask and chest plate are not protective. Cape does not enable wearer to fly. Uh, found on a television set owner's manual, do not pour liquids into your television set, which is good. Found on the handle of a hammer at a hardware store, do not use this hammer to strike any solid object. And found on a butane lighter, flame may cause fire. I like that one. That's good. That's, a, that's an important warning. Um, okay, I could make this point by reading the whole passage, but just look at verse 6. This is one of the most extreme warning labels ever given. Chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that is scary. You know, that sounds like the preview to a horror movie. Uh, I've got hell in my mouth? That's what James is saying. And he's saying that, I think, out of ministry experience. Uh, if you've been working with a church for a while, you know, literally... <laughs> You are, you are trying to solve problems that somebody or some group of people started with their mouth over and over and over again. There are other kinds of problems, of course, but 
over and over and over again. It's something that somebody said, something that somebody uh, started saying over and over, and, and that's the problems that we deal with. And so James kind of uh, hits this head on in this passage, and, and uh, we're going to look at what he says about it, and then we're going to look at some of the things that we can do about it. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 2 through um, 7. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or, or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are also steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, have been tamed uh, and are being tamed by humans, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is a serious warning label about this one part of our body. Why is it, why does he say these very extreme things about our mouth, about what comes out of our mouth, about our tongue and our ability to talk? Well, the fact is, everything that is powerful, that God gives us, that's powerful to do good, can turn into a much worse evil when sin gets hold of it. By its very nature, if it's powerful to do something good, then when sin corrupts it, it becomes a much worse evil. God gave you your mouth to do good things. God gave you your mouth so you can pray. God gave you your mouth so you can tell the good news about Jesus. God gave you your mouth so that you can tell people the truth about all kinds of things in the world. And it's what you hear and what you express with your mouth that kind of creates a lot of what we call human society. Our ability to talk is an amazingly powerful, good gift that God has given to us. But because it's so powerful, when it's corrupted for evil, it becomes an incredibly dangerous evil. And I think uh, we can look at at least five different areas that the Bible's pretty explicit about, saying these are dangerous things that happen with our mouth. These are warning labels that ought to come with what we do with our tongue. James kind of mentions this in chapter 4, and other places in Scripture mention this first one. Warning number one, your tongue can tell lies. And... And this is serious. This is something that's mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Proverbs 6, if you want to make a note, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who whispers discord into a family. looks like... 
three out of the seven of those things, those seven things that God hates involve some kind of lying, some kind of deceit. God hates it when we lie. Why? Well, obviously several reasons. Lying is the language of Satan. Lying is one of the main tools. Satan is not super powerful, but he is tricky. And his ability to worm his way into our hearts often has to do with shading the truth, covering up reality, clouding our minds, making us believe what's not true, enticing us to tell lies to ourselves. And so lying is kind of the language of Satan. Jesus says this at one point when he's in a conversation with the Jews, John chapter 8. We studied this, some of us, in our Sunday morning Bible classes a few weeks ago. Jesus says, you know, when you lie, and he's talking to the Jewish leaders who are telling lies about him, he says, when you lie, you're talking with the language of your father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies. This is the way Satan operates. Lying always breaks relationships. If you get caught in a lie, it takes a long time, maybe forever, to get back to square one with that relationship. Yeah, but I'm smart. I'm not going to get caught. Even if you never get caught in a lie, what does a lie do to the relationship with the person you lied to? Even if you are as smart as you think you are, which you're not, uh, what does a lie do to the relationship with the person you lied to? It means from that time forward, you have to think differently about them. For one, you got to remember what you said. But it's worse than that. You treated them not like an equal. You treated them kind of like an object. In that moment at least, you said, I'm not going to share myself with you. Instead, I'm going to use my words to manipulate you. And that changes the way you treat them. From, from that point on, it changes the kind of relationship you are able to have with them. If lying persistently characterizes my life, then I cut myself off from a whole level of kinds of relationships that I can have with my family, with the people I work with, with the people that I go to church with. Lying is satanic. It's one of the tricks uh, that our tongue can play on us. Second warning label I think our mouth should come with, your words really do have the power to hurt. Oftentimes we don't think so. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But that is, that's another one of Satan's lies. I mean... Words really do have power to hurt. If you look back in your life, uh, don't do this, but if you did go back and do a catalog of the worst moments in your life, nine out of ten of them involved what somebody said to you. I mean, that's just, that's the way humans are. 
Words can devastate us. Words can stay with us our entire lives. Words can change the way we view ourselves. Words have the power to hurt. And in a strange way, it's kind of creepily addictive to give myself over to an outburst of rage like that, especially if somebody's burst out against me. There's, a, there's a, an addictive cycle that happens if I start using my words to hurt you back. Peter says this, 1 Peter 3, 9, Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. On the contrary, repay with a blessing. For this is, to this is what you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. Words can hurt. If I explode verbally, there's a lot of shrapnel that comes out of my mouth. But in order, if I get in the cycle of doing that again and again and again, you push me to a certain level and I'm going to let it fly. Just like any other addiction, the same level of abuse, the same level of foul language or belittling talk is not going to get me the same buzz the second time, the third time, the fourth time. You know what I have to do? To get you to kowtow in front of me, to get you to, to, to be as shocked into silence as I want you to be, I've got to up it again and again and again. It's just like any addiction. I've got to get a stronger dose. And if I go down this path, I find my... A person that Jesus died for, a person washed in the blood of Jesus. I find myself in the car. I find myself in the drive-thru, letting horrible things come out of my mouth. Shocking. My words have power to hurt. I am a redeemed person, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he wants to baptize my mouth. My words have the power to hurt. In fact, this is one of those where I can kind of program myself to say hurtful things. I don't know exactly how to describe this, but have you ever kind of set alone and said, well, this is what I would have said if I weren't a Christian. You never did that because you're a better person than me, Ruby. Which we all knew anyway, but. This is what I, I would have liked to have said this to. And just, there's kind of an odd pleasure in kind of rehearsing in your own imagination just how you'd love to have verbally slice them up. But unfortunately, if you rehearse that enough time in your imagination, you're creating a pathway for it to come out your mouth. You are making it much more likely for that to spew forth from you. You, a redeemed person, a person who is a walking temple of the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden this garbage that you've been storing up in your mind, comes pouring out. James says, it shouldn't be like that. Once you say angry words, you can't get them back. 
and they can do damage that's permanent. And so when those moments arise, it is way, way, way better to walk away. Just walk away. Walk away. If you have to, you have your preacher's permission. Just, just look at the person and say, James 3, 6, and just turn on your heels and walk away. Just say, I got to take a James 3, 6 moment and just get out of there. You can come back later and explain it to them. You know, you can give it to them and say, please read this. Uh, this explains why I did what I did. Just, just get away. Because those words, once they go out, they, they, you can't get them back. I'm as serious as I can be, church. I mean, uh, there's grace in the Christian fellowship. There's grace in families. But these words that we let come out of our mouths, they can really create barriers that don't have to be there. And so every time I can prevent one of those little catastrophes coming out of my mouth, I am helping the kingdom of God. So walk away. Actually, third warning I think is related. Words can be a form of abuse. Uh, There's teasing, and then there's abuse. And the line can be very, very fine. You know, you have to kind of be a little bit skillful. Honestly, James Fields, if he never said anything to me but have a nice day, Jim, I would think he really was mad at me because he's kind of an expert. He knows exactly how to tease me in a way that makes me think, yeah, James likes me. This is is our way of showing our affection. This is the story I'm telling myself, James. (laughs) Merle Thompson's another one. If she, if she only said, it's good to see you, Jim, I would really be, I would worry that I had offended her. She knows how to, you know, push my buttons. I know how to push hers a little bit. I always lose, but, you know, and so that can be a sign of affection, but we all know that it's possible to be in one of these where a person says, oh, I was just joking. They don't know how to take a joke. And it really is a form of dominance and abuse. And... That can happen to you, and you know that's toxic. And therefore, you don't let that, you you don't be the one that does that. When you find yourself getting in that mode that says, oh, I can just one-up them. A little deeper sarcasm, a little deeper cut, and I'll be the one who comes out on top. That's not okay. That shouldn't come out of our mouth, and we need to pull that back. Warning number four, I actually think words, we should, we should kind of remind ourselves, words are judged by impact, not just by intent. One of the things that I tell myself sometimes is, well, I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. It's kind of on them. If they took that the wrong way, I don't think it really is going to work like that. I'm afraid it's not going to work like that. Matthew 12, 26, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will give an account for every careless word you utter. So on the day of judgment, I've got a lot of stuff to worry about on the day of judgment. And then Jesus says, in addition, the stuff you said, God's going to demand an accounting for that. The stuff you said. And I think that means even if people took it away, you didn't mean it. You're kind of responsible for that. Now, sometimes you can't control how they took it. 
and you really didn't mean any harm by it. But you can't just leave it that way, right? You're one of God's peacemakers on earth. And so if you find out that you hurt somebody's feelings by what came out of your mouth, then use the same mouth to go and try to fix it. You can't just say, well, it's their fault. They're the ones who took it the wrong way. So it's their problem. We're very grateful that Jesus didn't stay up in heaven and say, well, it's their fault. They're the ones who sinned, and they got to fix it. We're glad he came and made peace. And so we know we're called to be peacemakers as well. Warning number five. Words spoken behind somebody's back still count. This is a strong warning in several parts of Scripture. All the way back in the Old Testament, Proverbs 26, verse 20, for lack of wood, a fire goes out, and where there's no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Man, that is true. That is so true. It is so easy to be the person behind the scenes fanning the flame and watching two other people fight. And you're pretending you're on both people's sides. That's what Proverbs is talking That particularly creepy kind of gossip. But what you say behind somebody's back really does matter. And church, I just think this is straight up golden rule territory. I don't think we need anything more complicated than Matthew seven twelve. Do to other people what you would want them to do to you. So if your marriage is struggling... How do you want people talking about that? If you're having a conflict with somebody at church or you're having a conflict at work, how do you want people talking about that? If one of your kids is off the rail a little bit, how do you want people talking about that? Then that's how you talk. Whether they're there or not, you act like you would want, how you would want them to talk about you, that's how you talk about them. This is actually a high standard. This is, it is, there's nothing more natural than for us to discuss other people's business. And it's good to be concerned about other people. But when they're not there, it's very easy for us to lop over into giving the kinds of opinions and to taking sides. Well, we don't have any business doing that. We are redeemed by God. Every one of us that's a Christian, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are on this earth to be a little spot of God's temple on earth, a little spot of God's influence on earth. And so what comes out of our mouth behind the back of someone else really, really matters. It's crucial. Say only what you would say about someone if they were standing right there. And also defend somebody the same way you would defend them if they were right there in your presence. Somebody else gets on a tear, ripping somebody up and giving all kinds of opinions about their personal life and what they should or shouldn't have done. Maybe you can be the one who steps in and says, you know, 
I don't really think this is as much our business as we're acting like it is. And you say, well, Jim, that's going to make me a buzzkill. Yeah, you probably need to be a buzzkill if you're killing that. That's okay. You do that a few times, it's going to be awkward. And then people will say, okay, well, if we're going to gossip, let's not do it when so-and-so's around. That's all right. That'd be an okay reputation for you to have. That would be a way for you to sow a little peace into a world that's pretty torn up by what's being done with people's mouths. James goes on and says, what you say can be a really good judge. It can help you diagnose what's going on inside your heart. I like this next bit. Look look in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's almost like James is quoting Jesus here. James, Jesus said several things that sound like this. One example is Luke 6. Again, if you're taking notes, Luke 6, verses 45. The, a good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and an evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouth is a good diagnostic tool for what's going on in our hearts, right? That's what Jesus says. I think that's what James says as well. I think I've told this story many times. I, before I ever came to Wilshire, back in the 90s, I preached for about a year and a half at the Hartford Avenue Church of Christ in Ponca City. Drove up there every Sunday. And uh, one of the deacons up there, Mike Chapman, uh, he was a civil engineer, Uh, who went around to all these little towns in northern Oklahoma, he was a sewage engineer. I mean, basically, that I mean, water systems, but mostly it was sewage. He and his family, they had matching T-shirts. He had a wife and and a son, uh, matching T-shirts. Sewage is our bread and butter. Just put it right out there in front, you know, because that was how they made their living. That's not a job you want to come bring home, you know. I mean, and, and we get that, but... Uh, uh, (laughs) Jesus and James are saying, if sewage is coming out of your mouth, it has to be coming from somewhere. And and if you find yourself again and again and again saying stuff, I mean, have you ever had that experience? I can't believe I said that. I can't, I, I don't know where that came from. Jesus says, yeah, well, I do. (laughs) That's been stored up in your heart. You've allowed that to live there in your heart. It doesn't mean that's all of you. It doesn't mean you're just a totally horrible heart, a totally horrible person, but it means there's, there's something in there that we need to deal with. And so this is a good way to find out about myself, what what kinds of things my mouth keeps being attracted to, what kinds of talk my mouth keeps finding itself its way toward over and over again. That actually leads to what I think is, is James's prescription and Jesus's prescription for healing. 
if dirty talk is a sign of a dirty heart, then clean talk can actually help me get a clean heart. I actually think if I can... Notice all those images that James started with. If you can put a a bridle in a horse's mouth, you can get it to go. If you put a, a rudder even on a giant ship that's being blown by powerful winds, you can get it to go where... If, I mean, the, the mouth is tough to control, but if you can begin to discipline your mouth, it turns out you will also be purifying your heart. What if instead of meditating on, man, if I weren't a Christian, what I would have said to the, what if instead of filling your heart with that, you begin to say, this is what I wish I had been quick-witted enough to say to them. I wish I had said this word of kindness and love in response to their words of hatred and abuse. I wish this is the way I had responded. What would be a better way for me to handle that next time? What would be a better way? What would be better things to come out of my mouth? If I'm meditating on that, if I'm filling my heart up with that, guess what? That will come out sometimes. It'll surprise you what the Holy Spirit will do with you as you discipline your mouth. I'm not going to tell lies, even about little things. I'm not going to talk behind somebody's back in a way that I'd be embarrassed to talk in front of their face. I'm, I'm not going to let abuse be one of my tools for controlling the people around me. I'm going to be careful about how I hurt with my words, even if I don't mean to. And when I do do damage, I'm going to try and go make things right with that person. If I discipline my mouth, then it will turn out, I think, that I am in the process purifying my heart. James wants all of us to be able to live together in peace, and he wants each one of us to have a pure heart before God. And so he writes these things. Sometimes they sound pretty harsh, but he writes these things for our good. And I hope we can get what he's uh, trying to tell us. If you need to respond to God's gracious invitation in Jesus Christ, inviting you by the blood of Jesus Christ to make a new life, if you need prayers, or if you are ready to receive baptism, then we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.